All right, welcome back. This is the Rooted Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Panetta, and we're in studio downtown in Salem, Oregon. Salem is, uh, well, Groundwork, our Leadership Institute, is home here in Salem. And and uh, we started the Institute a number of years ago uh, with the goal of raising the tide of leadership here. And so since then, we decided we'd start a podcast and we should learn from as many leaders as possible and then, and then to share what we learned. So we've had amazing guests over the span of a couple of years. Um, I've learned a lot and I hope that all of our listeners have. So whether this is your first time listening or your returning listener, we hope that you enjoy our episode today. So uh, as usual, I have Salam Noor sitting next to me, our co-host, and we have a wonderful guest uh, sitting across the table from me, Mary Paulson. And I actually don't know Mary all that well, but Salam has known her for quite a while. So Salam, I'm going to defer to you to introduce Mary, and then Mary will just let you kind of take it from there. Is that all right? Absolutely. Um, Hi, Chris. Hi, Mary. And welcome to our studio. Um, I am so excited that you are here today. And for our listeners, uh, you've had the opportunity to hear from uh, community leaders from various sectors in, in Salem and Kaiser. And Mary is one of those leaders that has been incredibly influential in many ways and tends to work behind the scenes, but she's done amazing things in our community. And I've had the benefit of uh, being a friend and a colleague and have benefited from her talents and experience in a role that I'll speak to here in a second. Uh, but Mary is the deputy director of the Oregon School Boards Association, uh, a statewide organization that works with school boards in uh, a variety of ways to help them be effective as leaders in their in the community and stewards of education in their communities. And prior to that, Mary was the uh, chief of staff in the Salem Kaiser School District. And Mary has actually worked with many superintendents in the Salem Kaiser School District. And she has contributed to their success in every possible way. And I'm even comfortable saying they would not have been successful without Mary being the person that she is, the leader that she is, and her commitment to education in our in our community. So I've had the pleasure of working, knowing Mary for almost 15 years, actually. I can't believe it's been that long. So for almost 15 years, I uh, have worked with her directly in the Salem-Kaiser School District when I was, uh, when I was with the district. And uh, all I can tell you is that she embodies many of the attributes of great leadership in terms of listening, collaborating, supporting, um, facilitating uh, difficult conversations and problem solving. But most importantly, she's a very genuine individual that cares deeply about people and cares deeply about their success. And I have been one of those individuals that have benefited from that while I was with the Salem-Kaiser School District. But um, I'm going to let Mary tell you more about the journey that she's been on. But we are really, really honored to have Mary with us here in studio today. And I'm looking forward to learning even more about her journey in leadership and the great successes that she has um, achieved and how she contributed to many people's success, including mine. So welcome, Mary. Thank you, Salam. That is way too kind. And Chris, a pleasure to meet you this afternoon. And it's a pleasure to be here to speak with you. I don't know how far back you want me to go in terms of my uh, story, but um, mostly an Oregon native, uh, very much a product of public education, um, graduated with my undergraduate degree from Western Oregon University, Go Wolves, and my master's degree from Portland State. And uh, spent, as Salam said, uh, a considerable amount of my time in the public sector, 25 years with Salem-Kaiser School District altogether, just about five with the Oregon School Boards Association. Previous to that, because I'm, I'm older than <laughs> I used to be, I was in private uh, retail. I worked in personnel at uh, Myron Frank. And for about seven years before I, I joined Salem-Kaiser School District. So um, had a number of opportunities to kind of find where my fit was. And I think I finally found it when I settled in at Salem-Kaiser. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, I want to ask you, and, and you can kind of th- more, th- more thoroughly introduce yourself to, to, in response to this question, but I want to ask you, uh, you know, did you always see yourself as a leader, 
um, or becoming a leader, you know, before you got into those those positions. And while you think about that um, response really quick, I just want to state something that Salam was introducing you. What I love about some of our all of our guests, including yourself now, is we've had an array of different guests, a lot, lot of them from our community, some of them outside. We've had authors, we've had entrepreneurs and all sorts of people. But I, I feel like our, our most valuable guests are always, you know, individuals uh, like yourself and so many of our community leaders that, that I, I call our everyday leaders that are out there doing it right, right now. Um, and, and so I, I'm really looking forward to learning from you, especially the way that Salam um, uh, spoke about you. So what, what, what's your response to that? I mean, have you, did you always see yourself as a leader? And uh, did you always see yourself one day becoming one? Okay, so that's um, that's a hard question for me to answer because I don't I don't actually see myself as a leader in the same way that a CEO might consider themselves or a superintendent might consider themselves a leader. Um, I am I've always been bossy by nature, so I think maybe in some respects that it came to me naturally. But I don't like to be the person in the front. I very much like to be the person behind the person and and I lead behind the scenes. And I think it took me a really long time. And it was a lot of Salam's influence that had me recognize that that is leadership. And I'm not sure a lot of our folks that are leading behind the scenes understand the role that they play and how critical it is mm-hmm. when they are back there propping up sorry that's too harsh it's not propping up but giving the person in charge the skills and the uh, information and the data and the reports and whatever it is that they're doing um, so that they can go do the work that they need to focus on Mm -hmm. that's leadership it's a different kind of leadership but it is still very much leadership yeah yeah i i totally agree and um I, I think the word that comes to mind is really the support because leadership, as you well know, is a lonely business. So having somebody like you helping that leader actually lead is what um, ensures, in my view, their success. And uh, I'm, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the role that you've played um, in transitions, because you've worked with a lot of superintendents. If we were to focus on the Salem-Kaiser School District specifically, you worked with a lot of superintendents, I would even say, to help them find their leadership and, and, and refine their leadership and their style and their approach in the district and the community, because you've been um, in that role and you have a deeper understanding of the organization and the community that they're coming into. So that requires some significant leadership in the organization and in the community mm-hmm. to help this individual be successful. And you've experienced that many times. Yeah. And I'm just kind of curious about your, your formula, so to speak. How, how, would you, how do you, did you approach that? Because each of them was different. They came from different uh, places. They have different backgrounds, different styles. Mm-hmm. Um, could you talk about the way you've sort of managed and facilitated that with each of those transitions? Sure. And like you say, each of them is, each person that comes into the role is a little bit different. So I think it starts by understanding who they are and uh, what they need, both from a professional standpoint, but also a uh personal standpoint, because everybody has ego and everybody wants to be successful. So I've always seen it as in my role that I adapt to the person who's in charge. But hopefully by doing that, they adapt to the organizational needs. Mm -hmm. And um, you think about the, how do I say this? The skill set, the toolbox that they come in with. And sometimes if all they have is a hammer, you have to help them understand that sometimes a different tool is needed to, to get the job done. And because I was fortunate enough to come from within the Salem-Kaiser School District, I had built relationships um, both in the community and the um, school district itself. And I always 
took the opportunity that if there was a project or something that needed to be done and nobody was stepping up to do it, I would always do it. Mm. And that gave me those relationships and it gave uh, uh, me the end. And then when the new superintendent came along, because they were coming along with me, there was some almost immediate acceptance. And then, of course, they had to earn the rest of it. But because they knew me and they knew I was in that role, that that greased the skids maybe a little bit. Right, right. Um, And also just open and honest communication. Sometimes, even though that's incredibly difficult to look your new boss in the eyes and say, that's not going to work here. Right. And and or trust that you can say to them, here's where you're going to find your pitfalls. Mm -hmm. Here's where you're going to find your successes. Here's the people you need to talk to. And that was the other thing that not just me, but but people I worked with and people had been in the community. We knew even before the superintendent was hired, we had that key communicator list ready to go. And we had meetings set and the poor new superintendent coming into the district, the first 90 days were not their own <laughs> at all between community meetings and key communicator leadings, uh, meetings and the people in town that they had to partner with mm-hmm, right. to move agendas forward. And then not to mention staff and principals mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. assistant superintendents and everything else. Yeah, yeah. You knew the soil very well. I, I, I was lucky enough to know the soil very well. And, and I made, like I said, I, I, I think a key to strong relationships or strong leadership is strong relations, strong, yes. open and honest relationships. Right, right. I use the soil analogy because that is a key component of our framework. And it's about the people, the relationships, mm-hmm. the trust, the culture, the environment. And, um, and, and that's really critical for anyone's success. I mean, this, what you're saying, and as I'm understanding, you know, your, your experience, it really lends itself obviously to what we kind of talked about offline before and what we were hoping to get to today. But this idea of organizational change, including this element of communication and leadership transitions, you've seen it so many, so many different times. You've had this very, um, interesting vantage point, Mm -hmm. um, that, uh, you know, that you've provided for leaders. So, you know what have what have you learned in in that process of organizational change and and in education of course you know there's there's a change well I guess in business too there's mm-hmm. change in leadership but it feels like more in education it can happen more often than than most and in a large organization it means a lot of change could happen and so maybe everyone was doing one something this way somebody new comes in nope we're gonna do it this way and that could be really messy and cause a lot of problems. And so leadership transitions can be difficult. Uh, so what have you learned along that journey for people that may be going through that transition, but even those that aren't as fortunate of walking into an organization with someone like you to say, hey, here's how things are going. Here's how the soil is. You know, you might have leaders that walk in and don't have any clue and, and maybe there's not somebody there ready to to tell them and and that has the knowledge and the know-how like yourself. Um so what have you learned along the way uh, when it comes to organizational change and leadership transitions, et cetera? This is also what I did my master's thesis on when I was at Portland State. So I really um, loved the whole topic. And so when I decided to get my master's, I decided this is what I was going to write on. And I think that the thing that I have learned is change is not inevitable and that change does not come easy to people. And unless done correctly, which is different for every organization, it won't happen. Because the only way you get change is you have to get people to change. Mm -hmm. And the psychology behind getting people to change is far more complicated than what we want to think. And I think that was, that's been my biggest learning. And it's one of the things that has helped me as I have worked to to move people towards um, change. And probably the biggest thing that I've learned is if you've got a mission and a vision that is unassailable, people are so much easier to move and want to move because they know the reason behind Hmm. the, the ask. 
And um, I, I'm not going to get the author right because I'm terrible about this. But the um, the person who talks about the big hairy problem, mm-hmm. um, good to great. Good to great. Oh, uh, uh, Collins. Jim Collins. Yeah, Collins. Jim yep. Collins. And and I know that's a dated book, but it still holds true. You know, mm-hmm. if you can identify that big hairy problem and you can back it up with data and information um, and it's a mission people believe in, that does help you move the change. Yeah. doesn't guarantee it mm-hmm. because when you come into an organization and you say to people, we need to change, essentially what they hear is my work here for however long I've been here, you're telling me is wrong. Mm-hmm. You're telling me I've wasted the last 10 years of my work because now I have to change. Yeah. Now, that's not what the leader's saying, but it's what the person often hears. Yeah. Um, and I've experienced that myself. I've been on the end of, why are you doing it like that? Mm-hmm. Well, because I designed the process. Uh, yeah. This is my process. How, what are you saying? And it's, um, it can be very insulting to people yeah. until you can get them to uh, really look to see, is this still value add? Mm-hmm. And, and I've done this many times of late. Well, not of late for the last 20 years, probably. So you you ask somebody, they bring you a report and you say, great, thanks. What do we use this for? And you know how many times I've heard? I don't know. I've just always done it. (laughs) More than you would think. Yeah. And it's just part of what they're, they started doing it. Their boss told them to do it. They didn't know why they needed it. They just handed it to the next guy and they handed it to me and it went to the board or, you know, and. Mm -hmm. And so you just start very gently asking, yeah. well, let's find out. So, yeah. so let's, dive, let's dive in a, a little bit to this, diff, this, the challenge it is for people to, to change and why, like you mentioned, uh, you know, I've been doing something for so long. I don't want to, what you're, what I'm hearing you say is that I'm doing it wrong. Why is it, why is that hard for people? You know, why is, why is change hard for people? Uh, you know, I dove into a bunch of research earlier this year on organizational change, mm-hmm. and I think it's somewhere around, you know, over 70% of organizational change efforts fail, right. which leaves 30 or less <laughs> around percent of change efforts that are successful. And the research shows that leadership is a huge part mm-hmm. of it. Um, there's all sorts of other variables at play, but leadership is one of the, the main, the main uh, reasons that it's successful or not. Uh so why is it hard for people to to change? Why is that such a hard thing to hear that you're doing it wrong? I mean, and and why are people interpreting that when maybe that's not actually what's being said? Yeah, I think it's really important to point out what just exactly what you said is that's not necessarily what the leader is saying, mm-hmm. although sometimes they say it and that's not good. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think it is how it is interpreted. And um, I think most of the time... They think that way because they're not really understanding the reasons behind the change. Hmm. And we all have a tendency to think we sit in these meetings and we admire a problem. It's a fam- favorite conversation <laughs> yeah. of Salam and I's around admiring the problem. I've heard him say that many yeah, times to yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, we're really great at it. But then when it comes to change, we just assume it's everybody else who needs to change. It's, it's human nature. Mm. And... Because most people, I believe, take a lot of pride in the work that they do, at least the people that I have been privileged to work with through my professional career, nobody sets out to do it badly. Yeah. And, but sometimes they don't always uh, grow at the times or take the next step. And so as the leader, and depending on what challenges you're facing, what I'm used to mostly is superintendents coming in and looking at our student data, graduation rates, attendance, third grade on, on grade, third grade reading scores and those sort of things and saying, this isn't good enough. Mm. Now imagine if you're a third grade teacher (laughs) and you've just been told, or you've just been, you've just heard, Mm. you haven't been doing your job very well Yeah, because we don't have enough kids reading at grade level. Mm -hmm. Actually it'd be the second grade teacher, but still, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, people get complacent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not all people. I don't want to make a sweeping generalization, but yeah. Um, yeah. 
we just get set in our ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just want to continue on this topic of change and organizational transformation. And I want to uh, just dig a little bit deeper relative to what personally guides you and helps you maintain your sanity, for the lack of a better term, during these different phases of change. Because I think it would help people to understand how you actually get through it. How do you navigate it? How do you manage it? So there is the professional side of it. Mm -hmm. But you've worked with, with superintendents. And as chief of staff, what a lot of people don't understand is that you really um, you bear the brunt of the burden of the superintendent. You're the person that the superintendent talks to about their personal life and professional life. You're the one who is trying to bring the organization along. You're bridging gaps between where the superintendent or the leader may be and where the organization is. You're managing perceptions. You're managing attitudes. And that's a lot for one person to, to manage, first and foremost, but to really just process and, and shoulder, if you will. So talk a little bit uh, for, to the benef- for the benefit of all of us, our listeners, ourselves, of, as an individual, what really guides you through that process? What, what helps you stay focused? What helps you stay sane? You talked about the right vision and mission of the leader, um, but that's not enough sometimes, right. you know, because it gets really, really complicated and it gets tough and, and I've seen people just walk away from these jobs because it, they become impossible. But you, you I mean you stuck with it, and you, as I indicated earlier, you really helped superintendents and leaders—not just superintendents, but leaders like my, like me that came into the district—find our footing and land and be successful mm-hmm. and have positive experiences mm-hmm. and positive impact. So, on a personal side, um, what what would you advise people to consider and to keep in mind as they're traveling through a similar journey? Balance of your professional life and your personal life. Um, also, um, staying centered and remembering that this isn't about, boy, that's an interesting question. Let me, let me think just a minute about, yeah. about how I would say this. This is where Chris edits, right? Yes, there will be editing. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, learning to have tough conversations, difficult conversations, um, and for somebody like me, and I'm not a big fan of conflict, so I'm I'm always trying to be a peacemaker, both, in, I mean, my mm-hmm. whole life. So when you are faced with a tough situation where you've got somebody who is um, complaining or wanting to um, not go along with the program, just being able to say to them, as I said earlier, we're the ones that adapt to the new leader mm-hmm. or, or not. Right. And, and I've had a lot of conversations where it has been, um, you have options. And not, not to say I counseled people out of jobs. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying. I'm just saying to them, if you're not happy with this new leader or if you're not happy with the way the organization is going – there are a lot of options that you have. Um, and that's, like you say, that is stressful because you're right. I, from all angles, at any one given time, but I also didn't do it alone. I mean, it wasn't just, I had my um, group of confidants mm-hmm. and uh, we had, I was fortunate enough, most of the time I was with the district, that we had a good core who who we could talk things out with, and you just learned to build those relationships. Um, but we also, and I don't know if this this helps the the listener. I just feel so strongly that we have such an important mission that that's really what propels us a lot of the times. Is this is about public education for well, right now with my job for over half a million kids mm-hmm. in. Um, the state of Oregon, and that doesn't even count community colleges. So it's really hard to, it's really hard not to take that serious and just to know at the end of the day, that's our product. Sorry, I just called kids product. Nobody get mad at me for that. But, um, and that's one of the things that 
I, I felt very proud of that we were able to do in Salem Kaiser, and you were there at the time, Salam, was we got our staff, all of our staff, to the point where they could say how their job impacted student achievement. And when we would go through and do our audits, we had 99% of our classified staff that were interviewed be able to say, as a custodian, as a, um, a buyer, as a bus driver, I impact kids because I get them their supplies, I get them to school, and I keep their schools clean. Yeah. And uh, when that, when you've got that, the other things don't seem quite as daunting. Right, right. I, I know that was a really hard question to ask, uh, but here's what I heard you say. I heard you say, um, we have to be flexible and adaptable as organizations and as individuals. Um, if we work in a team, we have the team to fall back on to help us through these challenges and these transitions. Um, I think being really aligned with the mission, and I think you're absolutely right. We all have options. And if you get into an organization and you're not aligned with that mission, then you have to question whether that's the right place for you or not. And the trust piece is really important. Trust in the process, trust in the new leadership, trust in the people that have been there like you long enough to help shepherd this process through. But you also touched on something that I think would be interesting to explore and this idea of exploring social spaces. I think this aligns with that, which is being open to what new leaders and new leaderships mm -hmm. um, bring and the opportunity that lie um, ahead. And that calls on us to be vulnerable because you're right, change is scary mm -hmm. and it affects people in different ways. So I, I really appreciated the way you answered that. And I think it touches on these key elements of leadership. Yeah, change is uh, scary. And I think that's <laughs> largely why, you know, people don't like it. Uh, I like what you said earlier that, that uh, you know, change is, it's, it doesn't, it's not an it's not inevitable, right? To some to some degree, in the context that we're we're talking about it, it it's it's scary. It's and it's hard. And we talk a lot about conflict in our framework. And you mentioned a little bit of a little bit um, talking about conflict and 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 how you see it personally. But but it is it is scary. People become afraid of it. And when we're afraid of something, we we don't always engage in it the right way. And and so the fear that is embedded in conflict causes us to. To respond to it in, in in a variety of different ways, usually not helpful to change. <laughs> and you mentioned something too earlier, which I want to dive into a little bit because I think understanding conflict and being comfortable with it um, is a key part in change. Uh, you mentioned difficult conversations. You never used the word conflict per se, but it leads to to the the idea of conflict, which is scary for people. Um, so I think it's an important aspect of change. But you mentioned that you don't, you know, you don't necessarily like conflict and most of us don't, uh, you know, um, but we don't have to like it and we still, and that doesn't mean that we're afraid of it. We can not be afraid of conflict and still not like it. But you mentioned you, oh, you typically kind of take on this peace builder role. And I want to ask you, which it could be a hard question to answer. I don't know if you thought about it, but is, is your perception of conflict cause you to to want to be a peacemaker, or is it to just maybe avoid the conflict or accommodate the conflict at first instead of maybe facing it and diving into it? Does my, my question make sense? It does. And um, I may have to give you $50 after this for being my <laughs> psychologist here, but it, for me, it's a little both. And uh, a lot of that has to do with the skill set you come with to your profession. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, at first, it was to avoid the conflict, mm. to be perfectly honest, is to, to get people to just calm down. And, um, uh, th and that allowed me to um, settle my nerves mm -hmm. a little bit, and then maybe perhaps get to the root of what the real problem yeah. was. And um, I am not, you know, in my professional career, I've baby raised my voice five times. <laughs> I just, that's just not how I work. Yeah. And, um, and I'm, I'm a believer that it, you don't have to, I mean, you can approach it the way I, mm -hmm. it takes a little longer. 
Um, but at the end of the day, I think it also builds a stronger relationship. Yeah. And it does allow you the opportunity to, to once somebody has a chance to vent, yeah. to say, well, now let's talk about what's really bothering you. Yeah. And if there's a solution, we'll get to it. And if there's not, it's a nice um, opportunity to build trust, mm-hmm. to know that. And then the other thing is you have to keep those confidences. Yeah. And so often now that's um, so hard to do with all the social media and the Twitters oh, and yeah. the this and the that. And everybody knows what's going on. And um, it, that's so, so key. And then people know they can come. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people just need a chance to talk and to vent. And, and I always ask, do you want me to do something with this? Yeah. Or do you just need to talk? Mm-hmm. And that's how I approach my mm-hmm. boss I always have, which is, I just need you to know this. I don't need you to do anything. Yeah. And that's, again, that trust, because I have to trust that they're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. But the, the other thing, if you don't mind, I'm going to go back please, to please. The, um, the change conversation and the communication around change. And mm-hmm. this is where I think a lot of times the ball gets dropped, because uh, the people who want change sit in meetings, mm-hmm. admire the problem, mm-hmm. talk about the problem, uh, dissect the problem, decide how they're going to fix the problem, and then they go out and tell people rather than engage, mm-hmm. discuss, get their viewpoints, get the people who are going to make the change happen involved in the conversation. So a lot of times by the time change is being talked with to the people who are going to make the change, they're so far behind in the conversation that, as you said, they're scared. Mm-hmm. And we really underplay the whole bringing folks along with us, yeah. even though it takes long. Mm-hmm. We used to say um, at Salem Guys, or we used to say, sometimes you have to go slow to go fast. Oh, yeah. Because we needed some folks to slow down a little bit so that we could bring more people along with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's sometimes you don't have any choice if if you've got budget problems and you've got, you know, product problems and things like that, you've got to move fast and you don't have the opportunity to have a big conversation and bring everybody along. But most of the time, there's probably enough time. Yeah. Yeah. We talk, we talk about, you know, going slow to go fast quite a bit in our, in our framework as one of our you know, ways of implementing, uh, an idea, we call them seeds, right? Mm-hmm. One of our, our seeding, uh, ways of, 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 of approaching is going slow to go fast. Mm-hmm. And, and I a hundred percent agree with you. I think too often we, we skip to the, the solution before we really do the right cultivation process, researching, getting people on board. Uh, just recently I related it to you know, a, a gardener just going to the supermarket to buy an apple instead of planting the apple tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in an organization, you can do that. You can admire the problem, talk about it, be like, this is it. Here's the shiny apple. This is what we're going to go. This is, this is what it looks like. But the problem with that is nobody planted a tree. There was no roots that were deeply embedded in the soil. So there's no buy-in. Nobody knows what, you know, how to sustain it. It was just an apple brought back from a market market. Um, versus us growing our own. And I think that's a that's a big gap that we see in the problem of going fast to go. To, and, and, and the, the, the right. paradox is when we go too fast, we end up having to slow way down in the future. And so it's just worth it to go slow, to go fast when we can, when, of course, there's moments where we can't, where we need an immediate. Of course. And, and, and but but that's our job as leaders is to discern when those moments are. And I think the other thing that's really relevant to that is when when folks just sit in a room by themselves and they bring out an apple, maybe what you needed was a pear. Yeah. And you just didn't know. Yeah. Yep. And you just didn't know because mm-hmm. you, yep. you didn't take the time to ask the questions. Yep. And yep. um I I think the other the other thing that comes along with this in the communication is when you do go out and get all that feedback and input and you have those conversations both with internal and external stakeholders, you've got to be so crystal clear on why you're asking for the feedback and who makes the decision. Because people can easily get confused. Sometimes it is a Mm -hmm. a decision that the employees are going to help you make. And maybe it is going to Mm -hmm. be, we're going to, we're going to do polls and and this and that. 
But sometimes the leader's just looking for, and I mean, all the leaders, not just the leader, they're just looking for input and they're going to make the decision. Yeah. Um, But that's another thing that really disrupts that change is if you're not clear, uh, then people, again, they get their, I was asked. Yeah. And then I told them. Right. And they didn't do what I wanted. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. Yeah. The clarity there is important. And Salam and I have been talking about this a lot lately of, of it, are there, is there clarity around decision-making, how it happens, who makes the decisions? And then something I've been really interested in is the difference between problem solving and decision making because they're both different. Problem solving means we don't have a we don't have a solution and we don't know what to do. And so we need help and we need collaboration to do it. Decision making is we actually have some options and we just need to make one of them. And sometimes I think that organizations, beginning with the leaders, you know, they get those two things mixed up. Mm-hmm. And what needs to happen is a problem needs to be solved, but they're maybe approaching it with a decision making mentality or vice versa. A decision needs to be made, but they're approaching it with a problem-solving mentality, and and it can confuse people because, like you said, maybe a decision needed to be made, but it was addressed like it was a problem that needed to be solved. And Salam, we need your input, and Ben, Mm -hmm. we need your input, and Chris, come give us your input. Ultimately, they're going to make a decision, and (laughs) and what I said Mm -hmm. may or may not have impacted it at all. But and now, but I now I feel a little little, as at loss because they didn't hear me, they didn't listen to me, so then it becomes a a whole other issue. Mm Um, but I, I, I think that's a, that's a, that's a problem as well. So I'm sorry. I think you're going to say something. No, no, I, I think off. you're absolutely spot on. I was, um, I was going to touch on the see people aspect of our framework and, uh, and Mary, that section is part of our soil section and it talks about exactly what you described. And, and that is something that I've actually observed you do firsthand, you know, asking the question. Um, as to whether our strategy or solution is exactly what people wanted or needed, or asking the question about whether they've been involved in determining whether we're actually focused on the right problem. Um, so I've seen you do that firsthand, and we called out the see people section and deeply seeing, which is really understanding what others need. So instead of seeing them as an object or as a tool or a vehicle for solving our problem, they become partners and they collaborate with us on identifying the problem and solving the problem. So I, I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm curious, as you um, operate at a statewide level, I'm curious about your observation relative to leadership, because um, we've been discussing so far your leadership within the Salem-Kaiser mm-hmm. School uh, District and the Salem-Kaiser community. And that leadership has a tremendous impact on what happens in the district, which affects the community in general. I'm kind of curious, as you transition to a statewide organization, do you see the same patterns and the same sort of um, elements playing out when we talk about change at a statewide level compared to change within a within a single organization, although that organization is very large? Yeah, is it the same 70% that's fail, that fail? And change. And if it's too specific about no, OSBA. No, 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 it's I'm, not. I I'm, just, I'm, I'm not sure how to answer this because um, within the organization, yeah, a lot of those same themes have, have played out as mm-hmm. we have, as we have uh, adjusted the organization. Um, but because our mem- we have over 197 school districts. Right. And, uh, 17 community colleges and I don't know, 21 ESDs, yeah, something yeah. like that. So um, none of them are all, we're, we're not all rowing in the same direction with the exception of kids, students are the first priority. Right, right. Yeah, what so, I'm trying to get at is the complexity of of change yeah. and transformation. So within a singular organization, it's very complex but now, do you see the same thing? Do you see the same pattern playing out um, when you work across 197 entities, 17 community colleges, et cetera? And maybe what's maybe talk a little bit about some of the dynamics of leadership that you've witnessed and experienced there, and maybe some thoughts relative to how to manage change in that context. I don't think you can manage change in that context, Salam. I, I, and no disrespect uh, intended, but every community has its own vision and mission, and and so in that respect, they they 
anything that looks like change is met with skepticism. Um, and especially now, and yeah. I, I, we won't get into the, the political end of that because um, they're so exhausted right now hmm. with, with everything that's going on that, that anything that's coming out of the Department of Education or OSBA or uh, the administrators group is suspect. And um, mandate is a four-letter word. So uh, I guess the answer to your question is, I do see the pattern playing out Mm -hmm. because they're scared. Yeah. And and, uh, our poor elected officials right now on school boards are just exhausted as are superintendents and teachers. So um, maybe if I'd had this question three years ago, I might've had a different (laughs) response, right? But timing is everything. Yeah. So the context makes a difference. Yeah. I think the context does make a difference. And go ahead. Do you think that they're okay with, with how things currently are in their different cities? No. And in fact, we've done, uh, we just finished with with the Oregon School Boards Association. We did uh, several listening sessions where we went out. uh, Every year we go and do our regional meetings. But this year we went out and did uh, half of them uh, just because of COVID and COVID restrictions and things like that. And um, it it was those opportunities where we said, we've got a set of questions and we're going to listen and you're going to talk. And they sure did. Yeah. And um, we have a state, and this is not unusual, that doesn't agree with each other. Mm. What What is happening um, in our rural districts, they're, they're doing great things for kids, but they don't think we know it. Mm. And uh, we've got districts that think that for some reason um, they, they've lost local control. In some ways, to be fair, they mm-hmm. have. Yeah. With mask mandates and vaccination yep. mandates mm-hmm. and things. And I'm not putting any judgment on that, but there were decisions made by the governor that took mm-hmm. the decision out of their hands. Some of our boards said that was okay. They didn't mind. Some of our boards don't like that at all. Yeah. I, what I was reminded of is of a, is of an, uh, an adage. I don't know what you call it. An adage of change I heard once before. Um, where, you know, nobody likes change, but they hate the way things are. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what, what I find interesting is, you know, we're skeptical of change. We're skeptical of, of anything being different, but at the same time, we don't like <laughs> the way it is. And, and I think that the bridge between that, that mental gap is probably one of the hard, hardest bridges to, to make, especially for, for a leader because of the fear that comes along with change, the conflict that it can in, invite and everybody's different experience with with conflict it, you know it just makes the whole situation really mm-hmm. uh, really really messy but what i've what i've been hearing today is that this element of of clarity and communication when there's change happening can help begin bridging that that gap between i don't like the i hate the way things are but i i also uh i don't i don't like change um what else what else adds to that that bridging bridging of that gap Information, information. And, and that goes along mm-hmm. with communication. And um, I, I like to say, in the absence of information, people make up whatever they want, <laughs> and that becomes their that yeah. becomes the truth. And and that's I've been saying that a long time, not just from from recently, because if they don't know mm-hmm. that they that part of their brain needs to have something to fill in the gap, and and yeah. they will fill it in. Um, but information and data. Why is the change necessary? Mm-hmm. And there's usually always a good reason. Mm-hmm. You know, profits are down or uh, um, production is down or uh, students aren't learning at the rate they should be learning. Graduation rates low. And once you can communicate the reason for change, you will start to build that buy-in and that trust. Yeah. Yeah. And what what comes on the back end with that too? Because if I'm Sometimes, like we were talking about earlier, is the reason for the change could be interpreted that, oh, so I'm not doing a good enough job, right? Because the, the reason for change is we can do better and, and uh, you know, these are our third grade reading, reading scores. We need to improve those. How, what's the back end that, that comes along with that information and that data to help the second grade teacher feel like, you know, that they're... 
that they're, right. you know, you yeah. know you, what we were talking about earlier, what, what comes along with that? Well, and it's probably what Salam mentioned of seeing people, sorry to cut you off, mm-hmm. but, but what, what is your, what is your pers- perspective on that? Well, they have to be part of the solution. Yeah. They have to be part of how are we going to move the dial on, on whatever the problem is. And otherwise, right. You've come out with the apple mm-hmm. and what they wanted was the pear. Was the pear. And honestly, they're the experts. Yeah. And and not me, not I mean, unless I've been in their position and I've done their work, that's where the trust and the and the accountability, because they go hand in hand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, comes into play. So I say to you, Chris, you're the you're the podcast expert. We want to make these better. Here are the results that we're looking for. How do we get there? Yeah. And and then you then you get that buy-in, but also you show them that change doesn't have to be a negative. It's we're not saying the work before was all for for not, mm-hmm. but we are saying we gotta step it up for whatever reason. Yeah. Or this isn't our market anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I'm relating it a lot to to school, but it could clearly be that yeah. we used to sell pet rocks. That's how old I am. And now we need to sell Furbies. Still, I'm old. I, you know, because, because we were talking no, about chia pets earlier. <laughs> because nobody's buying pet rocks anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But that's interesting, though. That that takes me um, to a different to another point relative to change, because we've we've discussed how difficult change is and personal, and it affects people in a variety of different ways, yet necessary Mm -hmm. at times, because that seems to be the only constant nowadays. We also talked through the course of our conversation, the change is a process. Mm -hmm. So you described it as something that has to be intentional. You have to help people understand why you have to communicate, you have to provide information. And I know you've had experience with this, and I think it would benefit all of us to hear uh, your perspective on it. What if you do all of that and you're still encountering resistance? So how do you analyze that situation? How do you determine whether your idea, as we call your seed, is, you know, that you're trying to plant is a bad seed or is it something else? Is it environment? I I don't want to put words in your mouth. Mm -hmm. But um, because sometimes we do all the right things and we still encounter the same emotions, the same effect, Mm -hmm. the same Mm -hmm. resistance. Um, What do we do then? Well, that's where the accountability and the the new data gatherings uh, starts to play in. So um, if you've been clear about your expectations and they know what the goals are and they're not getting there, that's when you start to have those very difficult conversations with the the folks about what's wrong. What's the problem? Why aren't we getting to where we need to get? We've trained people. If they wait long enough, they'll outlast us. Mm-hmm. Because the average tenure for a leader in a, in a school system is on average five years for a superintendent. See, some people just wait it out. Oh, of course. <laughs> just wait it out. Yeah. Absolutely. They wait it out. And and they've been trained. They can. Yeah. Because a new superintendent comes in and we sometimes we start all over. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. always, but sometimes. And that that's true, I am sure, of any business. I don't think the tenure may be as short, but it's yeah. the same thing. And if you've been in the company for 15 years... And you haven't had to change yet. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. But it is, again, I'll go back to good to great. Either you're on the bus or you're off the bus. Right, right. And well, that it's, I, I make it sound really easy. Those are the hardest conversations that right. a person can have is mm-hmm. over performance. And most of the time we don't do those evaluations mm-hmm. very well mm-hmm. because they're hard. Yeah. And yeah. the whole self-evaluation process has always shown me that people think the work that they're doing uh, is at the top of their game and their supervisor doesn't always agree. Yes. Yeah. So it's really about desire. Uh, I mean, desire is a, is a component of our 
um, innovation seeds section. And it's about truly desiring that change. Um, and that that's also on the part of the leaders, because you probably have seen leaders give up mm-hmm. on some change that they're trying to implement because it gets hard. Yeah, It gets really challenging. There are too many barriers. It, it becomes almost insurmountable, you know, to overcome these barriers. Well, I think sometimes it's because we try to eat the elephant all in one bite yeah. rather than just take a smaller bite. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I, I get it. And a lot of times, if you're the CEO, you've got a board that is demanding profits mm-hmm. or returns or or you change. Know, or they may change. have hired you to make that change, yeah. right? Well, and there are leaders that are change agents. Yes. And they're they're very specific in what they're going to come mm-hmm. in and do. And and that's not most leaders. Right. Yeah. I we just have a few minutes left. Um that's my that's my that, few minute order. That's good. <laughs> uh is it because I mentioned pet rocks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pet rocks, we're gonna end it here. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, it was funny that we were talking about Chia Pets earlier today. <laughs> I haven't seen one of those commercials in a long time. Uh, well, we ta- we've addressed a, a, a bunch of different kind of vantage points on, on change here. And I think that everyone can agree that, that change can be incredibly difficult, especially at a large scale, at an organizational level. I mean, heck, change is hard in, a, in our personal lives. You know, somebody that wants to be healthier, it's hard to change and wake up and mm-hmm. go to the gym and eat right. So it's hard at a personal level, let alone when there's many people involved. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to make an attempt here to tie things together with a piece of our framework that I've been thinking about. We haven't addressed conflict directly. We did a little bit, but there's these different styles and and, and ways of, of doing conflict that I think relate so greatly to change. And so there's a lot of literature out there about conflict avoidance. You know, there's styles of you can avoid conflict, you can compete in conflict, you can accommodate in conflict, you can compromise in conflict, and you can collaborate in conflict. And 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 I just want to replace conflict with change. I mean there's there's change avoidance, there's a change competition, you know, the two main fight or flight. There's change accom- accommodate, like we just accommodate. That's like what you just mentioned. Uh, I'll just dur- endure this for five years, do whatever they say. They're going to leave. Something new is going to come. Uh, and then there's change compromise. A- and all of those I see as transactional. They happen above the surface. There's nothing really getting into the soil. People really aren't getting on board. People necessarily, necessarily aren't being seen. There's no desire to, to really make anything happen, let alone a belief that it's actually going to happen. And they're transactional in nature. And you might get some some apples from the market store. Uh, sometimes you might even get the pear from the market store, but no, there was still no tree planted. There was no pear tree planted. Um, and in our framework, when we talk about what leads to transformational change and conflict is collaboration. And I think that the same applies to to the change is change. It's collaboration, just like collabor- that, that style of approaching conflict is the most sustainable and leads to the best results. I think the same thing can be said about um, change because it includes all of those those elements. Um, sorry, you want to say oh, something? I do. I just really Go, quick. Please. I know you're trying to wrap up, but I think the best change is exactly that. So um, I've always treated my leadership as like if I were to leave tomorrow, it would all still continue. Yeah. And I think our best leaders do that because mm. it shouldn't be so leadership driven that it cannot be sustained after they're gone. Otherwise, it is all transactional. Yeah, it has to outlive them. Yeah, and it has, it's got to almost be other people's idea, <laughs> right? They're the like you said earlier, they're the ones driving the change. They're the experts, mm-hmm. and and that's really the I think the skill that that leaders need uh, in in navigating change is is they have to get the soil and the the people ready for it. Um, and that means that people have to be, you know, they have to be seen, they have to be fully engaged, and, and, and they have to be the ones sustaining it. And they have to have the tools to carry on once the leader has changed yeah. over. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, want to get your final, final thoughts for the day. But before we do that, Salam, what are your final thoughts? And then we'll get Mary's and we'll wrap it up. Well, um, I think 
I I know, not just think, uh, that Mary gave us a lot to think about relative to change and leadership and organizations and how to navigate that. And um, I just feel really fortunate to have had the opportunity to work with Mary and uh, privilege to be a friend of Mary's. And I will tell you that um, watching Mary work in really complex, large, dynamic, fast-moving organizations um, is exactly what she described today. It's, it's seeing people, inviting them to the conversation, truly really understanding the problem, asking good questions, uh, being mission-focused, paying attention to the people in the room, which is really deeply seeing because we're all people and we're all trying to work through whatever problem we're trying to fix together. Um, as I said earlier, I think Mary is the embodiment of all of the leadership attributes of collaboration, authenticity, humility. But one of the key things, in my opinion, that makes leaders, leaders successful is when they lead with integrity. And Mary also embodies that. And um, having worked for the Salem-Kaiser School District uh, for a number of years and having been a consumer of the district. Four of my children have actually graduated from Salem-Kaiser. I am grateful, quite frankly, that there are leaders like you and there were leaders like you in the district to make sure that my kids got a good education and that their schools uh, delivered on the mission that um, they were entrusted with. So I really enjoyed this. I can keep talking for a long time, but thank you for that. Thank you, Salama. It's very kind. And, and I would say almost exactly the same about you, an honor and a privilege Thank to you. be able to, to watch you work in, in your many different roles in public education and now with the work that you're doing as well. And um, you all probably know this, but Salam was instrumental. He was the only reason that Salem-Kaiser has its career and technical education center, which has just proven way beyond anybody's wildest dreams in terms of how it helps kids. And um, he did that just through his own belief and desire and dream. And he fought a lot of hard battles to get that done. And, and I know we didn't do it alone, but, but you're the reason that still exists. Well, I, I appreciate that. It was a team effort, both internal and external that that included, of course, our late uh, dear friend, Chuck Lee, and the support of Mountain West and our community. But uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So final words is I think that um, leadership is a journey. And you're not going to be the same leader in 20 years that you are today. Hopefully you're it's a thoughtful journey. And um, the hardest moments are the ones where you learn the most. It's when you try and you fail sometimes spectacularly. And thank you. I'm bringing this up at the end so I don't have to tell you about my spectacular fails and what I learned. Um, we still have another hour. <laughs> <laughs> but there are, there, sometimes it, it, you fall down and you struggle to get back up. But that's where or, um, relationships with your friends and your colleagues, they help you and you just... I don't know. It's it's such an exciting opportunity to to be a leader. And uh... no, you're good. I think that something that we can count on in change is that it will be hard, and we are going to experience failure um, to some degree. But it's I think it's what we do in those moments mm-hmm. um, that make the difference. And so the question that I would I would leave with with listeners is is you know, what choice are we making in those moments when it gets really hard, uh, not even just as leaders, but just in, in life in general. Um, when we're going through change, when we're going through conflict, when we're going through difficult things, what what choice are we making uh, in those moments? Because I think that's what make or break the whole experience for us um, is what we choose to do. Um, and I think we've talked about more than enough uh, tools today, or <laughs> at least concepts that can turn into tools to help us get through those moments um, when we encounter uh, difficulty uh, during change. But appreciate you joining the show. Uh, this has been really fun. Just another another episode to add to the to the library that we have of, of just so many great leaders and, and, and great conversations. So appreciate you coming in. 
Um, Salam, thanks for having awesome friends that you can invite in like this. And Salam, thank you always for joining us on the show. And and thanks to all the listeners, whether you're new or returning. Uh, We hope you keep listening. And until then, uh, be safe and happy holidays.